Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Tavin Nasir, CEO of Tavin Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that offers both virtual and in-person leadership talks and workshops on a variety of leadership topics. To learn more about our services and the topics we cover, visit our company's website at tavinnasir.com. And now, I'm pleased to introduce our guest for this episode, Wanda Wallace. And so in this space where we don't know, where lots of people don't know, what we need is breadth of dialogue and being willing to ask the crazy questions. The why is this so, but what's caused this pattern to happen this way and explain it to all of us around the table who are not the deep engineer expert so we can all think about the problem. In today's increasingly complex workplaces, leaders need to be experts who can make the best decisions for their team. But how can these expert leaders successfully navigate areas of responsibility where their expertise is limited? How can leaders successfully transition from doing the work to empowering their employees who know more than they do to share their own expertise? That's the focus of my conversation with this episode's guest, Wanda Wallace. Wanda is the managing partner of Leadership Forum, where she coaches leaders and works with teams to improve leadership capability. Prior to founding Leadership Forum, she was the executive vice president at Duke Corporate Education, an associate dean of executive education at the Fuqua School of Business at Duke University, as well as assistant professor in marketing. Wanda is also the author of several books, including her latest, You Can't Know It All, Leading in the Age of Deep Expertise, which I'll be asking Wanda about to learn more about her model of expert leaders and what she calls spanning leaders. Hi, Wanda. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Wanda, in your book, you describe two types of leaders, an expert leader and what you call a spanning leader. Now, I've never heard of these types of leaders, but it was interesting to read how you describe what these types of leadership look like in action. So to start things off, could you describe what is an expert leader and what is a spanning leader? Okay. All right. I'm glad you've never heard those terms because we started using them on purpose to draw attention to a particular dynamic I'd been seeing for decades. And that is the belief that we're developing general managers And I don't think that's exactly what's happening. So let me answer your question first, and then we'll come back to address why I think there are no longer general managers. But an expert leader is one who leads from their base of expertise. Basically, the team follows him or her because the leader knows more, knows and can execute. And you get a sense that your value for your contributing, your credibility is driven by your expertise. Your seat at the table even is driven by your expertise. In contrast to a spanning leader who is spanning outside of his or her domain of expertise, it doesn't mean that they have zero expertise. It means that they're now leading areas for which the team members know more than the leader can ever hope to know. And it's that sense of spanning. And I think where we're headed in the world is a blend of expertise and spanning. What I found interesting, Wanda, when I was reading about these two different types of leadership styles was that it got me thinking about two characters from Star Trek, which really helped me to kind of frame how I was reading about them. Now, I imagine most people might think of the expert leader as Mr. Spock, but the character that came to mind for me was Scotty, the chief engineer. As he led a team of capable engineers, 
But he was the one everyone deferred to, both within and outside his team, to have the answers. And the answer he would give to Captain Kirk or to anyone else was always accepted as fact, that if Scotty says it's so, it must be. And then when I was reading about the spanning leader concept, it was clear to me that this was Captain Kirk. As you point out, how a spanning leader has to be able to rely on a broad network of divergent opinions and viewpoints. They have to operate in situations where there's a lot of ambiguity about what's the best course to take. Being able to accept compromises that will allow you to make a decision that overall delivers the desired outcomes. And being someone who people choose to follow, not because of your deep expertise, but because of your ability to inspire others to believe in the possibility of things. And it was interesting to read about these two types of leadership from that lens or perspective to really kind of better understand these two archetypes of leadership in today's organizations. I would never have drawn that conclusion all on my own, I must admit. I'm a bit of a Star Trek fan, so obviously I know the characters and can relate to them, and I think you're right. The um, Scotty, as the engineer, is the classic expert leader. And what I see in the world as I find fabulous expert leaders, it's not that they're down farther in the organization or that they're younger. It's that they know so much and everybody defers to their content knowledge. And they tend to love to work for those individuals because you can take that individual, any problem you're dealing with, and they can help you think through the solutions to the problem because they've seen a part of it. They know a resource to go to. They know how it works in technical detail. And so they're often really, we gravitate towards them in many ways. Now, that's what's good about the expert leader. What's bad about the expert leader is that they don't, not bad, what's more limiting about the expert leader is they don't tend to lead outside their expertise. Like we would not typically go to Scotty and say, how do we solve this problem with something that's not technical, that's not engineering, that's not around the powering of the spaceship, for example. That would not necessarily be his strong suit. And he would say, I don't know, I'm more comfortable with the engines. Let me get back to the ship. You guys figure that out. And you tend to develop around you people who are more just like you, meaning they think like you, they have the same interest in problems as you do. And it creates a nice little lovely enclave of talent, but it also creates a silo. If you think about Captain Kirk in contrast, I mean, there are many things that we could say about Captain Kirk. I'll just stay on this notion of spanning. Um, and in many ways, Spock is a bit of a spanning leader. He knows bits about a lot of things and can go in depth if needs to, but he doesn't always have to rely on that. He's willing to rely on other people's knowledge and expertise. And you're right, Captain Kirk has this huge breadth of knowledge, this big, um, so that's not much he has depth, but he has this, I know who to call mentality. I know who to get on this. I've seen a piece of this somewhere, sometime in the course of my career, and here's how we're going to go and get on board with it. He also adds a huge dose of confidence, which makes it, you know, you, we want to follow him, but for completely different reasons. Right. So, Wanda, it's pretty clear how both these types of leadership styles play an important role in today's organizations, where your growth, uh, your ability to innovate, your, and your resilience is fueled by an organization's collective knowledge and expertise. And as you point out, some leaders actually demonstrate both these styles of leadership depending on what's needed in a given situation. To your point about Spock, see, for me, I was thinking for sure he's an expert leader, but you're right. He also demonstrates those attributes of being a spanning leader. 
So how do we know when we should be acting less like an expert leader where people are looking up to us for guidance and insights because they know we have that expertise and past experience to help us navigate a way forward? And when should we be a spanning leader where our focus should be on tapping into the insights and expertise of our employees who are in more direct contact with what's going on and what we need to be aware of? Right. Okay, so first thing I would expect in most careers from mid-levels up through the organization, you're going to have periods in the time of your career where you're more expertise or other periods where you're more spanning. And I would expect the percentage of those two to shift with time. So if I have a team underneath me that is very competent and there are skills that they know that I do not know and that they have spent years developing those skills, it's a little offensive to think I'm going to come in in six months and know everything they know, or even a year. That's when you're going to get a team that sits back and says, okay, go ahead. Let's see how good you are. And by the way, I'm looking for another job. So the number one choice and whether you're doing more spanning or more expertise is do you have a team underneath you who knows their content areas better than you can get to know them? or at least well as well as is needed in the case. And in which case you want to rely on that expertise. And then we're leaning more towards the spanning space. Second criteria you'll find is when the breadth of your scope that you are trying to manage is so big that you can no longer be on top of a lot of the details or into the depth that you might've been able to do in the past, then you're gonna to have to rely on more spanning leadership and let the team underneath you kind of manage the details and the depth and you have to trust them according to one of the challenges. And then the, it's gonna flip the other direction though, back to being more expertise when there's a problem, like when there's a crisis or when something goes wrong, like there's a mistake or a major risk, not little mistakes, I'm talking big, 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 big problems, something in unanticipated, then you may find that you have to dig back into your expertise. So I see frequently we'll take people who've been in spanning roles and throw them back to an expertise-driven role for a period of time to solve a major crisis. And then you hope you grow the talent and the capabilities underneath you with the knowledge from the new crisis that you can step back up to be more of a spanning leader. But you want to think about the blend. And what you want to be asking is of your stakeholders, your senior sponsors, your managers, what percentage of my time do you believe I need to spend in the expertise space and what time do I need to spend in the spanning space? You know what makes me think of is that this is clearly requires a lot of self-awareness about our depth of knowledge as well as the breadth of what we are required to accomplish. So if we look at today's environment where things are happening at such a faster pace than before and we're having to pivot and change, how do we make sure we have that clarity about what our expertise level really is, what our breadth level is, especially if I'm an expert leader, right? As an expert leader, I feel pretty confident about my knowledge and so forth, but how do I know when I'm reaching that limitation? What are the guideposts I should be looking for to let me know when I should be pivoting, as you said, where I should be reaching out to those who might be more aware than I am before I make those decisions? Well, as an expert leader, I should know whether other people in my field know something I don't know. 
And then the mechanisms for going to learn that should be fairly straightforward, whether that's some training, it's a conference, it's a reach out to, you know, colleagues that are in that area, it's reach out within the company, outside the company. I mean, if I'm an expert, let's say in engineering, for example, I should know where to go to find that knowledge. The problem for experts comes when no one knows. It's new knowledge and we have no idea what to do with that now, which is the case we find in a lot of the fast pace of change that we're seeing. You know, the technology is getting invented faster than we know what to do with it, let alone how to manage the risk or to choose between which one of, of seven different options we want to go for. And that's where you start to find the expert struggle. So I'm less worried about the expert knowing what they know and knowing when they need to advance their knowledge. I'm more worried about the spanning leader knowing when they need to dig a little bit deeper or when they need to push their team to dig a little bit deeper. What I hear from people who do this phenomenally well, what they tell me over and over and over again, is that what they do is they start asking a lot of questions. And I'll give this an example from one of my favorite CEOs, John. He says, taking over engineering in his company, he did not know anything about engineering, not trained in it, zero. And this is an engineering driven company, had no experience whatsoever. But now he's making decisions for the engineering group in one way or another. And he said, I had to ask a lot of questions. And he said, I just asked a lot of questions first to learn, second, to make sure people could explain it in some logical terms. And third, just because sometimes those questions force people to think in ways they hadn't thought before. And so in this space where we don't know, where lots of people don't know, what we need is breadth of dialogue and being willing to ask the crazy questions. The why is this so, but what's caused this pattern to happen this way and explain it to all of us around the table who are not the deep engineer expert so we can all think about the problem. And that's where we start to see the skill of the spanning leader being really, really, really powerful, especially when we're facing a situation where no one knows what's next. Yeah, well, this actually leads me to my next question uh, and why how I brought up the expert leader reminded me of Scotty and the spanning leader reminded me of Kirk. So over the course of the series of the movies, Scotty remains as the chief engineer because clearly that's where he's most happy being an expert leader. He has no interest in being a spanning leader like Kirk, who has to be aware of what's going on in different departments and addressing those needs in terms of the overall goal we need to achieve. And as you pointed out, also has to be comfortable with asking these questions because he needs to find out and understand what's really going on so he can make the right choice, the right decisions. And yet we see one character, the ship's helmsman, Sulu, who does move on to becoming a spanning leader like Kirk and being captain of his own ship and having to build these relationships and trusting a diverse group of experts who know more than he does to help him run his ship. Now, in your book, you provide an assessment to help leaders gauge how much of an expert leader or spanning leader you are and to figure out what they'd like to do in their future. So for those who are happy staying as expert leaders as Scotty, that's fine. But I'd like to talk about those expert leaders who'd like to pivot either now or in the future into a spanning leader. And probably the biggest hurdle to making that shift comes from understanding how you add value to the organization. As you pointed out just now, a lot of what spanning leaders would need to do to understand their limitations is to be you know, comfortable asking questions. But as an expert leader, it's clear that your value comes from the insights and expertise you provide that helps ensure the organization's making the best decisions and choices. 
So what's the change we have to make here in terms of how we perceive and understand the value we provide? And how do we make that pivot beyond just, okay, we have to be comfortable asking these questions to get a better lay of the land. What are the changes we really need to be making here to make this pivot successful? Okay. All right. And so when you talk about pivot, I I want people to think not one or the other. I want you to think and, and I want you to think proportion. So anybody who's an expert leader is going to start to add spanning um, characteristics, spanning traits, spanning behaviors to their repertoire of what they're doing. Rather than I'm going to go from one extreme, like being the chief engineer, to suddenly being the CEO where I'm not doing anything. So think about this as a gradual transition. The key, the number one starting point, but certainly not the only thing, is to get your head around how you're adding value. Okay, and and this is the big personal transition people have to make in order to be ready to move forward. As an expert, I can go home at the end of the day and know what problems I solve for my organization. I can know what that organization would not have gotten done as smoothly or as quickly or as efficiently if I wasn't in the building or in the organization. I just can't say building anymore. Um, If I wasn't there, there's a comfort in my value based on what I know, what I can do, what I can execute, what I can make happen. And a lot of people are drawn to that because they are more personalities of let me make things happen. I know how to make things happen. So as you're moving to a spanning leader, though, your value now becomes hugely intangible. It's very difficult at the end of the day to say, what did I do today? Where did I add value? What's the reason I'm kept? Why would anybody follow me? And those questions plague people who have all through their careers been pretty much knowledge and execution driven. So I talk about one person in the book, Anthony, who truly struggled with this challenge. He found himself now leading an additional group over which he did not know anything in depth, even though it was an adjacent area to his area of expertise. And he kept saying over and over and over again, why do they need me? Aren't they just putting me in a position to make me expandable? And the sequence for him and for everybody else is to understand the intangible value that you're adding. And it frequently comes down to something around the relationships in the network. The ability to use your breadth of knowledge now, not your depth, to help people access places in the organization they can't, to get insights about the strategy they can't get on their own, to find career progression conversations for themselves. I mean, you're using that breadth of knowledge rather than your depth of knowledge as an expertise. But boy, is it hard to point to in a year-end performance review or even at the end of the day or at the end of a week. And you just got to get comfortable with that. Well, that's the first step. If you get your head around that one, Then the next step is to say, well, what is the work I'm doing? I mean, I can't do the expertise execution work. I can't do the engineering or the IT programming. That's not my job. What am I doing? What am I responsible for? And how do I know they're doing the right work anyway? So what's my work and what's their work is a challenging question. And then the third one, the final piece is, okay, I get my value. I get what I'm supposed to be doing. The question is now how, because now it becomes a relationship game. How am I relating to people when it's not around content and knowledge? Right. And it's interesting you brought that up because the other thing that I noted in your book of how we can understand how we add value as a spanning leader is by focusing on doing the right things. 
And I think this is might be where some leaders who start out as expert leaders and move on into trying to be more of a spanning leader become those dreaded micromanagers that employees dread working for, right? Because their focus is still at that level of the expert leader on ensuring quality and minimizing the risk of mistakes and failures that they basically leave those experts within their team who they're supposed to be relying on, right? To your point about building those relationships and asking those questions to basically develop their breadth of knowledge of the situation beyond their ex field of expertise. Doing so ends up leaving the experts they should be relying on feeling both disrespected and disengaged. And this is another key change leaders need to make if they want to move from being an expert leader to a spanning leader, namely to shift, as you say from in your book, doing things right to doing the right things. So what does this entail, Wanda? What are those right things a spanning leader should be focusing on? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, in every time I work with groups of people, I always ask who likes a micromanager and no hands go up. No one likes a micromanager. And I will also ask how many of you are micromanagers in a small percentage will stick their hands up. So we all know we shouldn't be doing it. And we think we're not doing it. If I look at their 360 reports, I will tell you that more than 50% of them are doing it. And it comes because as an expert, I have high standards. I can strive for perfection because of my depth of knowledge, right? And there's nothing wrong with that in lots of ways, except for this micromanaging. So as you're moving to this spanning world, you want to be thinking not about, you know, we need good work to be done, but rather than I'm doing it or controlling what's happening, I need to see my job as enabling, how am I creating an environment? How am I enabling you who work for me to do good work? That's the one thing. And then, you know, another thing you do is going to rely on your breadth of network, as we've already said. And one of those examples is, you know, as you're going to meetings with various people throughout the organization, you will hear tidbits of knowledge in one place or another. If what you're hearing from another place of the organization is lining up with what your team is telling you, then, you know, things are probably in pretty good shape. You know, they're probably, your team's probably doing the right things that they need to be doing. You can relax a little bit and focus more on the integrations, if you will. How does my team's work fit in to the larger story? What's the collaborative effort that needs to happen between my team and another team? How do I facilitate that? Not how do I do it? How do I enable it? Right. You know, I love that you brought that up. I think it's such an important point, Wanda. This is what often trips up so many people as they promote and get moved up into different leadership positions. There's still that focus on my knowledge and expertise is what's got me into this position. So I want to keep building on that to continue to add value to the organization. In fact, I wrote a piece on my leadership blog to help illustrate this by describing that when you move into these new leadership roles, you're not just climbing up another rung on your career ladder. Rather, you're moving on to a whole new one. And consequently, as you just pointed out, you need to change what you focus on and who you focus on and what you act on to ensure you're successful in this role, that it's really about are you enabling your employees to deliver their best? Are you enabling your team to provide what's necessary? And are you listening to people outside of your department, your division, your team to hear what's going on, what information and insights you should be paying attention to and applying them in terms of how your team is going about doing things so that they can be more effective and be more in alignment with what the organization is trying to achieve? Exactly. 
Exactly. If you think about it, the experts leader's job fundamentally is to make sure things are controlled. The, the risks are controlled. We're not going to go in someplace that we didn't know something about and make mistakes that we couldn't have anticipated. So for what we know, we're trying to control the risk. That is fundamentally the job of the expert leader. That's not the spanning leader's job. The spanning leader's job is to keep the organization moving forward. So it means even you have to make decisions. Yes, true. But I'm looking for a decision that helps us move forward to the next step where we have to make another decision and the next step where we have to make another decision. And if you think about trying to deal with times of ambiguity and uncertainty or chaos even or um, VUCA or massive change, pick any one of those words that suits you. What I need is not the vision of here's where we're going to be two years from now, because none of us can know. What I need is somebody who can make a decision today that moves us to the next step. And that really is where the spanning leader's value comes to fore for the organization. So Wanda, when we were describing the expert leader, we were talking about how people follow them because of their specific knowledge, right? Going back to the example of Scotty, that if you have a problem, the expert leader is the one to go to as they can give you the answer. Now, as a spanning leader, as you pointed out, you're no longer the one that has the answer, and that's not really your job anymore anyways. Instead, your job is more how can you help your team get things done by relying on their expertise to shape your decisions. So again, this reflects that idea that you're not simply climbing up a rung on the same ladder, but you're moving on to a whole different ladder. So for an expert leader that's hoping to transition into a spanning leader, how do they navigate this change in their interactions with their team? What are the pitfalls they need to be on the lookout to make sure they're building these critical relationships to help them get a better understanding of the lay of the land? Not to mention demonstrate to others that you want to help them build on those skills and abilities to become stronger members of your team, that you're, as you said, enabling your team to succeed, which is really what drives people to want to follow you as a spanning leader. Because you're going to know that if I work under your leadership, I'm going to get these kind of opportunities to stretch and grow myself. Right. You're going to help me in some ways. That's the number one thing. So first off, to be an effective spanning leader, you really do have to have a broad network. And we must say thousand and thousand, thousand times, expand your network, expand your network. This is why. As an expert leader, my network tends to be the people who draw on my expertise that I have interacted with over the years. It's a great network, don't get me wrong, but it's not nearly broad enough. As a spanning leader, I need to have fingers across the organization in lots of different places, broad, probably 10 times what the expert leader has, because that's where I'm going to tap resources for my team. That's where my team comes to me with a problem and the spanning leader can say, right, let me call Jose, who is in Spain, who's actually got a group that's dealing with this and let's get coordinated with Spain. And problems get solved because of that ability to use that broad network. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm working for somebody who says, I don't know how to solve this problem, but I know who to, how to call somebody and I can do that pretty immediately, I'm pretty happy to follow them. They're relying on me, they're trusting me, and they're helping me fix a problem and expand my network at the same time. I'm in. The second thing you want to be doing, though, is to recognize now, we always talk about trust, how important trust is. Yes, 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 yes. But let me tell you, trust is different for a spanning leader. 
For an expert leader, I'm going to trust you because I trust your experience and your knowledge. Hispanic leader, I'm not going to trust you because your experience necessarily may be a little bit so, uh, certainly not because of your knowledge, but now we move into some of those more personal characteristics. Do I trust you because of how you treat me? Do I trust you because of how I see you treat others? Do I trust you because you share um, your the credibility around with other people? What's the basis by which I trust you now becomes a really, really important factor. And two big ones in that one is one is your ability to set out and articulate in a way we all buy our vision. I don't mean the company's grand strategy. I mean our group's vision for what we're trying to accomplish and why it matters. So being able to do that and then doing that in a way where I kind of like you, the person, which means I have to be open as an Hispanic leader to let you see and get to know me. I have to have one part confidence and one part humility. I have to be um, approachable, accessible as a leader. And all those qualities now become what it, why people follow me, whether it's my team or my peers even will follow me to get something done. Wanda, I know you go into this a lot more detail on the various steps an expert leader needs to take to make this transition into a spanning leader. But for someone who's clearly an expert leader who's been listening to our conversation, what piece of advice do you have for them if they're debating making this jump from being the expert, the one that everyone goes to to get the answer, to being a leader whose focus is less on being the expert and being more a champion of the experts around you? And obviously, as you were just explaining really well, of really being someone who's more focused on building those relationships, really on how we're showing up as a leader, how we're engaging with other people around them, and to that end, helping them bring their best efforts forward to help the organization succeed. Okay, I would say pick a small space to experiment with. And a space where you've got people reporting to you who already have a lot of the content knowledge. And try to get out of the telling the having the answers with them and get into the space of asking intelligent questions that get those people to think for themselves. So that's one thing to do. A second thing to do is to convince yourself that this is actually a learnable skill. Pick somebody in the organization that you admire, but that's close enough to you, you actually see what they do day in and day out. Write that person's name down and then write down beside that why. Why do you admire this person? List all the qualities and characteristics you can think about, behaviors, actions. Go to somebody else, even if you want, and fill out that list a little more. And just step back and take a look at that list. There might be one piece, one line in there about knowledge, but there will be a host of others that are all the things that we're talking about right now. So if that's someone you admire and you think they add value to the organization and they add value to the organization by doing all these intangible things, then you can do the same. But it is scary because it feels like if I'm, especially in a time when there's change, it feels like if I stay close to my expertise, then nobody can grab my little space of the world. So I'll put my head down and keep doing what I've always done but that keeps you in the same place you've always been in. So the growth mindset is to say, let me look up, let me see what else, how somebody else is doing this and let me try to follow that one. 
Now, I could go on for hours about how to do that, but those are two good starting places. Does that make sense to you? That makes perfect sense. I think that's a really great starting point that you provided our listeners right here. So, Wanda, thank you so much for sharing these insights on both these different types of leadership and how we can successfully move from one to the other if that's what we're looking for in terms of our career growth. I think there's a lot of people who might see themselves in what we discussed today, and hopefully we've given them some insights on what they need to work on to grow and develop their leadership. Thank you, Tavio. It's been a great pleasure. Some interesting ideas to consider both in terms of how we should view our leadership and what Peter Drucker referred to as the knowledge economy, and also in terms of our career growth within the leadership realm. If you'd like to learn more about Wanda's book and her work, check out the show notes for this episode, which you can find on the podcast page for our show at tavernasir.com slash LBC. And that's a wrap on this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, brought to you by Tavernasir Leadership. If you're looking for more insights on how to improve your leadership going forward, I invite you to check out our company's website at tavernasir.com to see how we can help, both through virtual and in-person leadership workshops and facilitations. And if you enjoyed my conversation with Wanda, I'd like to ask you a favor in sharing this episode with your colleagues and employees. The easiest way to do this is by sharing with them a link to our podcast page at tavernasir.com slash LBC. On our podcast page, you will find links to subscribe to our podcast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Podcasts. And you can listen to every episode of our show using the built-in player found on our podcast page. And with that, I'm Tavin Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Oh, 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 oh,